We're going to read Luke chapter 16. And this is the living word of God. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Father, we want to be those people that you gave us in that song to sing about today. Kingdom-minded people. Oh, Father, may we be listeners now to your precious word. May we understand it and apply it with the grace that you give. We do love you. We praise you for saving us for the glory of your name. And we commit this time now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, each year we usually have a a basic theme or a focus for uh, the year. And for our shepherding meetings, we bring, try to bring that into shepherding meetings, into our communion meditations, into our sermons. And we'll be doing that this year. Um, and even in our one-day conference, which I'll mention uh, in a little while. Now for 2020, you already know, we'll be speaking about and talking about with you all, our calling to be servants of Christ and stewards of the Most High God. We are stewards of the Most High God. And this sermon is an overview of stewardship, and so we will begin looking at uh, some, some of the biblical foundation of that and, and some principles. And then we'll look at a few of the characteristics of and the character of uh, a biblical steward. And then finally, some of the main areas of the stewardship that we, will, we should be aware of and that we will probably consider throughout the year um, in some of our shepherding and teaching and, and uh, communion meditations. And by the way, a number of you have asked me, why am I wearing a bow tie? And uh, Rodney didn't get the memo, apparently. But uh, uh, I'm wearing a bow tie because I, I haven't hardly ever done that before. I, it was given to me. And Phil and I thought, let's just wear a bow tie. And I, as far as I know, it has nothing to do with stewardship. I don't know. Maybe it does. But I don't think so. Um, so first of all, let's look at our foundation uh, in biblical stewardship. And if you'd look, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to read a few verses. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. <clears throat> then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then I'd just like to skip down to two, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. So first of all, verse 26, chapter 1, it says, let them have dominion. 
He called his, he made his people, he made uh, his creation, man and woman, and he gave them dominion. He gave them the stewardship trust of the earth. And mankind doesn't own the earth. We have to remember it is the Lord. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. In other words, everything, everything we see, everything we are, we are all his. Psalm 104:24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. It's all his. And we are not the owners. We are given a trust to rule and to exercise his delegated authority as stewards and as servants. Verse 28 says, be fruitful and multiply. So we're to take dominion, and we do that by being fruitful and by multiplying, increasing in number by the grace of God and in wealth. In the Eighth Commandment, we read this, the Eighth Commandment requires the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. We are to be fruitful. And then it says, fill the earth and subdue it. We're to fill it up and subdue it. As image bearers, we are to imitate our creator in our productivity. And it takes people, turns out, to be productive. And I lived in a country, Japan, which is now basically dying because they refuse, basically, to have children. They, they cannot be productive, and they know it. They're destroying themselves. And so are countries, by the way, that murder their children. So we should not only be fruitful in having children, we should be faithful in training them and discipling them, but also we are called to be productive. We're called to be fruitful in kingdom work and in development of the earth. In verse 29, it says, I have given you, the Lord has given us, he has entrusted to us. Every herb, it says, that yields seed, which is on the face of the, the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for fruit. So he's giving us all that we need to fulfill the mandate that he has given us, to take dominion, in other words, to be fruitful in our calling as stewards. He is the one who gives. Genesis 2.15 says, we are to tend it and keep it. So we have this job we're to do, we're to work it. In his book on, uh, called Prosperity and Poverty, Cal Beisner shares about uh, the creative and the sustaining aspects of our human work. And uh, tending or cultivating increases the earth's productivity. So we are to continue to increase in productivity and keeping or guarding protects or it sustains it. It keeps it from degrading. And so our work as stewards is a privilege. It means, it's a means of dominion. And it was given before the fall. And now we also, as Phil was sharing, we have a task in restoring after the fall. We have a, a restoring aspect uh, because of sin, because what sin has done. And so our role as stewards began at creation and we are to be productive with all that the Lord has given us with all his amazing resources. He is a good and giving God. R.C. Sproul gave us a fundamental <clears throat> definition here of stewardship. And he said, stewardship is about exercising our God-given dominion over his creation, reflecting the image of our creator, of our creator God in his care, responsibility, maintenance, protection, and beautification of his creation. It's kind of a long one. But Basically, we are to reflect the image of our creator God in being responsible to, to what he's given us. And so let's look right now at Luke 16. If you turn with me to Luke 16 or in the bulletin there. And Luke 16 is continuing from uh, obviously Luke 15. And in Luke 15, uh, there these, Luke 15 was addressed to the uh, Pharisees. But Luke 16 is addressed to the disciples. And so this is right after the parable of the prodigal son, or you could call him the wasteful son. Um, and that was given to the Pharisees. And first of all, I think I need to take just a minute. So we're looking at a parable. And when you look at a parable, when you uh, study a parable, when you try to understand the hermeneutics of how do you look at a parable, I think it's important to, I need to mention a few things here. First of all, there's a Stanley Ellison. I, I haven't heard of him before, but he had a, a commentary, and he said, uh, he had a very short definition of a parable, which I kind of like short, shortness, but uh, he said, a parable is a figurative history, true to life, 
usually relative to the kingdom. It was in a book called Hermeneutics of the Parables. So it's relative to the kingdom. Most of them are relative to the kingdom of God. Now, the Lord Jesus used parables about 40 times. So quite a few. In the synoptic gospels, as Rodney said last week, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, about a third of his teaching uses parables. And so it's good to understand some basics. And here's what they are. Parables are stories. They're narratives, basically, to help illustrate a truth. And it uses uh, something that is known in the culture, that is familiar in that culture, to help us understand the unknown, or you could say maybe the spiritual. So many parables, as I mentioned, are on the kingdom of God, and they're also on uh, money or wealth. And this parable is on both of those. So a parable is used to teach believers. Again, Rodney shared that last week, I believe. Unbelievers basically don't have ears to hear. It takes a spiritual heart to understand. In fact, in chapter 16, verse 14, it says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, they loved money, they they were listening to Jesus at that time, uh, also heard all these things, and they derided him. In other words, they scoffed at him. They mocked him about what he was saying. But they didn't understand, because those things have to be spiritually discerned. Only the Spirit could have helped, given them ears to hear. So, in a parable, there's usually one main point. There might be several applications, but there's one point. And so, really, you have to be very careful in stretching that one point uh, beyond uh, what it should be. And it's all too easy, it turns out, to spiritualize them or to allegorize them. In fact, I read a number of commentaries I might share later. Uh, Some of them were so confusing, I'm not sure they really helped much. But I think they really stretched the meaning a lot. I took the very simple uh, meaning, basically, of this parable. So we must really try to understand the historical background and the cultural background of any parable because it was given uh, to those people who understand it, probably understood it completely, whereas we uh, have to look back and really uh, work a little bit to, to understand a, a parable. And so we should be very careful, I believe, uh, cautious maybe in developing doctrine or a lot of application uh, practice from a parable. But this, this is the word of God and it's meant to be applied And so, being a simple man, I first sought to understand the clear and simple meaning of this parable. And then, you know, like I said, I looked at a few commentaries, and uh, there were some really very interesting ones, and I'm not sure how they got the point that they they made. But it was interesting to read, but I didn't quite see how it fit. Uh, In fact, this parable, I didn't know it when I chose it, but many of those commentators said, this is the hardest parable to understand. I thought, whoa, okay, I didn't even know that when I chose this, because there are obvious uh, points uh, regarding stewardship that should be made from this parable. So in chapter 16, verse 1, it says, he, he also said, the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, and maybe the Pharisees were still listening, and they probably were, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him, that is, to the rich man, that this man, the steward, was wasting his goods, or squandering them, basically. So he called him called the steward and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. He was getting canned. So the rich man, uh, the lord of the steward, entrusted these, some goods to him, some wealth to the care of the steward. And the steward obviously was not faithful. He was using foolishly what his master had, had uh, given him to, for his master's uh, gain. He was wasting it, basically, or squandering his master's uh, things. Just like, you know, grain scattered wherever. It's just not going to grow, you know, very well. So he was not being productive with his master's resources. And as all stewards are called to account, every steward's called to account at some point for the use and development of the master's wealth, this unfaithful steward was called to give an accounting. He was caught, in a sense, uh, by his master. And uh, the master was probably at a distance, or it's kind of implied. And he heard about the manager's uh, wastefulness, and then he was going to be fired. And so he knew he was going to be fired. So the steward started to scramble a bit uh, because he got caught wasting that which was not his own, doing something his master would not like, and uh, he was not able or willing to do other work. So being shrewd, he was shrewd apparently, he was clever, in his dilemma, in solving, you know, what am I going to do? He, he had this dilemma. He thought of an idea to make friends with his master's debtors, because he had direct communication with them, and so that they would then take him into their homes after he lost his job and help him. 
In verse 3, it says, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do and what to do when he was put out of the stewardship. And then it says, Then he said, they, That they may receive me into their houses. So please remember that phrase when we get to verse 9. He was wanting them to receive him into their homes after he lost his job. Verse 5 says, so he called every one of his master's debtors to him, and, and they went through that, and he cut quite a bit. Those were large debts that he forgave. He forgave quite a bit. So obviously the debtors were going to have a, a very nice feeling about this, this guy. He was uh, beneficial to them, at the least. Now one view I read about, uh, there are many views, but one view that I read that, that the uh, the uh, man here, the servant here, decided just, he's just going to lower the debt. In other words, he's going to harm his master. His master wasn't going to get what he was owed. And possibly another uh, passage said, or another uh, commentary said that, that uh, possibly they had been overcharged quite a bit. Uh, in other words, the master had not obeyed the laws of usury, or he, he didn't actually uh, add a percentage on, he just added a whole bunch of, bunch of money to it. And so uh, the steward, some said, were charging what they really truly owed. And apparently this was done by rich men at that time. It was, you know, they'd pile more on there, and uh, they should not have done that. Now some say the steward just reduced his own commission. He wasn't going to receive as much as he, as he could have. But in any case, in verse 8, Jesus ended the story, and there's not a, and a lot of elaboration here, uh, and a lot of parables don't elaborate great detail. They give these enough details to help us understand to get to the main point. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. That phrase, in their generation, means in their kind, among their people. So this is the main point, I believe, that the Lord Jesus is, is giving us here, was giving to his disciples and to us. And so as sons of light, as disciples of Jesus, as members of his kingdom who want to be better stewards, what are we to learn from this phrase? Certainly, certainly we should be better stewards than the sons of the world. We are not who are not seeking to serve their true master, or the true master, and who have not been using their resources to please him for his kingdom. Matthew Henry said this, this man's plan for a comfortable subsistence in this world shames our improvidence for another world. He was clever for his own short-term security, but we should be even more clever and wise and shrewd for eternal purposes. And that's what we've been gifted to do. That's what we have been called as stewards to invest in. John Calvin said this, by this comparison, Jesus reproves our worse than spineless laziness that we do not at least have the same eye to the future that heathen men have to feathering their nests in this world. It's quite a comparison. So we should have an eternal perspective, brothers and sisters, on what we have and, and use in this world and that's challenging, I believe. It's challenging for us to keep an eternal perspective in the daily grind, if you want to call it that, with the world's incessant influence impinging on us. But we must. The only characteristic praised here, really, is shrewdness, uh, which is not the main stewardship quality, by the way, of faithfulness. In fact, this steward is called the unjust steward, or un un unjust steward by the Lord. Now, in contrast... In Matthew 25, the Lord commends the faithful steward and then rewards him. Matthew 25, 21 says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So a faithful steward is usually given more of his master's resources. They're often, the, the master has seen that they are good stewards, so he entrusts more to them. And then he rewards them. And since he is also pleasing to his Lord, uh, he is brought into a closer relationship to enter into the joy of his Lord with him. Now in the past, they were, in the past, servants and slaves and stewards didn't expect a whole lot. 
but if they were very good at what they did, so often, sometimes they were uh, adopted into the family. They were treated as a family member. In fact, they were even given an inheritance. Now, going on, the rest of this passage from verses 9 through 13 is what the Lord intended us to apply, is the disciples to apply and us to apply from this parable, I believe. Verse 9 says, And I say to you, this is the passage that had so many meanings to it. And, I, and you can kind of see why. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you in, into an everlasting home. Now, before I referred to that, uh, talk, you know, the, the other guy wanted to uh, be assured of a comfortable home after his stewardship failed. And so we should look at this in the same way. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, which is wealth, uh, that when it fails, possibly, or your stewardship ends, they, that is, friends, may receive you into an everlasting home, into, into heaven. So my simple understanding is we are all to use all of the resources we have been given, even the, the world's wealth, the unrighteous mammon, which will end, of course, at some time, uh, or will fail, if you want to use that word, when our stewardship ends. It will be done. And we are to use it wisely now for heavenly purposes and for blessing, or blessing now and uh, blessing in eternity. We're to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We're to invest as stewards now for uh, the long-term future, which means eternity, heaven, that we might see friends in heaven as a result of our wise stewardship. John MacArthur said, if you are concerned about the advance of the kingdom and you are committed to making friends for eternity, you will give what you have generously and joyfully. You will gladly use your wealth that God has given you, all of the things that you've been called to steward. Now, even those who are of the world are very creative in increasing their wealth. They think about it a lot. And so even more so as citizens of the kingdom, we should be productive with what uh, we have been given. To whom much is given, much is required. And when we die, those whom we have helped when our stewardship ends, those who we have helped by our faithful stewardship in obedience to our master will welcome us in heaven. And our master will welcome us in heaven and say, well done. Finally, the Lord instructs us on the character of a steward in this passage and on the results of that character. Now regarding character, there are just two qualities here. You're either faithful or you're not. You're either just or you're unjust. Verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So if you are faithful with a little wealth, you will be with great wealth. So you're, you're going to be faithful with either because it's all the masters. You're serving him as you should. You are faithful in the smallest details. So you may be given more even. And then you will be faithful with those larger matters also because that's your character. You're a kingdom-minded person, and, you, and that makes you a good and a commendable steward. Or, on the other hand, you are unjust. You are unfaithful in small things, which carries over to being unfaithful in bigger things. Your character makes you a poor steward, not to be commended. And the results are that you will not be entrusted with more, especially the true riches, riches which serve the Lord and build his kingdom, which have eternal results. And you forfeit blessings. You forfeit rewards in that case. Verse 11 says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? The main characteristic of a steward who has given much from his master, is that they be faithful to use what the master entrusted to them, to serve, in fact, one master only. A faithful servant is wholly dedicated to one master. He is not conflicted. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. A mammon is a Syriac word, 
And it signifies gain, especially self-gain. It's really self-oriented. Mammon, or it could be money or wealth, but it's very self-focused. It's impossible to serve God as a good steward if your main thoughts, if you mainly think of and serve yourself and your own wealth and your own security. And then that is becoming your idol, in fact. Cal Beisner said in an excellent book I've been reading right now, it's called Prosperity and Poverty. He said, nothing is more debilitating to true Christian stewardship than allowing anything to usurp God's authority in our lives. Good stewardship requires obedience, and we cannot obey God when we rebel against him and serve other gods. And may the Lord, brothers and sisters, keep us from this idolatry. And you are then, of course, if you're in that way of thinking, you're not thinking of, or you're not laying up uh, the true riches in heaven, eternal treasures, which have eternal significance. That's what our stewardship is meant to do. A true steward is single-minded in his desire to serve the Lord and use his master's resources wisely to increase his master's kingdom. And God has given us amazing promises in his, in his scriptures, but this is the one that came to my mind. You all know this one. Matthew six thirty-three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So a steward's heart is set on knowing his master and serving in his kingdom. That is his joy and his purpose. And rather than worry about, you know, how am I going to live, you know, how am I going to, you know, the current needs that I have, he trusts in the provision of his needs as, as part of being a steward of a loving master. And in the Lord Jesus, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. John Calvin said, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Covetousness makes us slaves of the devil. Another parable in Luke chapter 18, this is the rich young ruler. He couldn't be involved in kingdom work with the Lord because his wealth or his mammon was far more important to him. He chose keeping temporary riches. He, he kept them. He didn't want to give to the poor. He kept those rather than vital kingdom work on earth with the Lord and treasure in heaven. And so with those thoughts on stewardship from Luke 16, I'd like to now highlight a few of the areas, a few of the character qualities of a steward. And if you look at that, that's part three on the notes. <clears throat> First of all, a steward, when you think about it, a steward should know the desire of his master's heart. If he really wants to carry out his stewardship well, he has to know his master's will. So he has to spend time with his master, obviously. I've also been reading a book called The Evangelistic Zeal of George Whitfield. Great, great book. It's written by Steve Lawson of uh, Ligonier. And regarding, this is regarding uh, George Whitfield's prayer life. Uh, or you could say, you, call, you could call it the kid's communication with his master. It is said, Whitfield was absorbed by intimate prayer. He knew a servant could not fulfill his assignment without a regular audience with his master. And brothers and sisters, nor can we. We cannot think of how to be effective as a steward unless we're meeting with our master. It won't work. And this reminded me, actually, right, right away, of Abraham's servant. Remember Abraham's servant in chapter 24, Genesis? I believe he really knew his master's will. Obviously, think of what Abraham trusted that servant to do. Abraham trusted him on an errand so vital to Abraham. Indeed, for the future of his family, uh, covenant succession, he was looking for a wife for Isaac. So this is the hope, Abraham's hope of descendants. He trusted to this servant. So I believe the servant really knew, and Abraham trusted his servant to carry out what he had given him to do. And so a servant not only knows the desires of his master, but he is trusted by his master because the steward is always seeking to know his master's will. The master knows this servant really wants to know my heart. And he's always relating to his master, to know his master's heart, so that he can carry out what he's been called to do. So my question to you all, as a group, as individuals, how are your meetings with your master and Lord? 
Are you able to carry out your stewardship, you think, otherwise? Are you faithful in seeking to know him and his will through his word? Well, let her be a steward is faithful, trustworthy to fulfill their master's will, of course. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 is kind of the, maybe the key verse uh, in the New Testament on the character of a steward. It says, let a man so consider us, that is, Paul was saying himself and those with him, but he, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. So we should be known, brothers and sisters, as servants and stewards of Christ and of his word. It says, let people so consider us. And they may think we're crazy for being that. It not, may not be laudable to them. They may think we're utterly foolish. But they should understand that we are servants of the Most High God. Either way. And it is required, it says, in the character of a steward, that a steward has proven to be faithful has a record of faithfulness to his master that even the unregenerate may see. And it's common that people say they can be trusted, isn't it? You know, I was thinking of movies. I couldn't think of a movie, but I know in many movies, somewhere in the movies, somebody says, just trust me, you know. You know, the other person's counting their life to this person. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, yeah, I, I think I can be faithful. Proverbs 20, verse 6, though, it says... Most men will proclaim each his own goodness or loyalty. But who can find a faithful man? So many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but a faithful man, who can find? So may we, let us not just proclaim that we are loyal and faithful stewards of the king. Let us live it out by his grace. Now, especially leaders of the flock should clearly be known as and, and have proven to be faithful men. Titus 1 makes that clear. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. And it goes on and lists not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, hospitable, lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word. So elders must be blameless as a steward of God. And I would ask, as I have in other sermons, please pray for your leaders, that we would be faithful stewards. We long to be that. And that we might be examples of a faithful steward of God. And pray, pray for this congregation, that we will all more and more be considered and seen as stewards of God. And we'd be seen by others as faithful to our master and our king, Jesus Christ. Let us see, faithful stewards have a servant's heart. Because that's, they want to be like their master. They have a servant's heart in the master's name. In other words, they want him to be glorified for their serving. They want to be embellished as a, you're a great servant, you're a great servant. They want the master to be glorified. First Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We're to minister that to one another to the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our master should be given all glory for our stewardship. And as each one of us has received a gift, each believer has been gifted as a steward to serve, as we've seen in Ephesians 4 in the communion meditations. So if in his manifold grace you are called or gifted as a steward to minister primarily by speaking or teaching, speak, remembering that this is the word of God that you're speaking. We are all stewards, actually, of his word in some degree. And 2 Timothy 2 tells us how we should be in our stewardship of his word. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. Or if in his manifold grace you are called or gifted as a steward to minister primarily by acts of service, it says to do it as with the ability which God supplies, which the, the grace that he gives. Philippians 4.19 says, He will supply your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He supplies his stewards to fulfill their calling. And the result of our service is that in all things, God will be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
So may our master be glorified, brothers and sisters, by our stewardship in this congregation, because it all belongs to him. And even if we have served well, I mean, even if people heap praise on us because of how well we did, this is how we should think about that. Luke 17.10 says, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Letter D, we should be accountable to be productive and fruitful. I mentioned that in Genesis 1. We are to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth, or to subdue it. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So we're to honor the Lord with all that he has given us. All the possessions we have are his. And it says we're to honor him with the first fruits of all our increase of that. Now plenty is not wrong to have as long as we remember whose it is and that it is for the work of our master. In fact, may we honor the Lord with his possessions and overflow with them. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. May it be so among us. May we be that productive as stewards. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let's sow bountifully here. Let's pray for fruit here. Let's pray for overflowing fruit, an abundant harvest of fruit among us, which is used to strengthen and to increase the kingdom of the Lord, not our kingdom. By this, our Father is glorified that we bear much fruit, and so we will prove to be his disciples. Letter E, we should have a certain attitude. Stewards have a certain attitude or a mindset of being a steward. They are zealous and they are kingdom-minded. Colossians 3, 22 and 23 tells us, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance because or for you are serving the Lord Christ. Because you know who you are serving. You are doing it heartily as unto him. And you are blessed to have in your mind a reward also. So everything we do with everything we have should be done with zeal. With zeal for him. As unto him. Knowing that we will receive a reward, an inheritance, it says, because we serve joyfully the Lord Christ. So the good steward is aware of rewards and inheritance, of course, uh, but serves heartily in love for his master with all his heart. In the Chalcedon newsletter, the latest one, I don't know how many of you read that, uh, Martin Selbridi quoted Gary North. And this really stuck with me at this point. Gary North said, never do anything second rate in the name of Jesus. Never do anything second rate in the name of Jesus. Stewards should not ever do that. And he went on to say, on all sides, and he meant in the, the broad evangelical American church, he said, on all sides, we are awash in Christian mediocrity. May it not be so in this congregation. And sloth, sloth in a steward does not bring blessing and commendation from the king, from the master. It never will. Zeal for the Lord's house should consume us. But a faithful steward I believe a kingdom-minded steward does not demand rights. And there is a handout that Phil, you, many of you have seen and worked through. Um, I just want to refer to it. It looks like this. I can make copies. Uh, you can see me after the sermon. But a faithful steward is a kingdom-minded steward. He doesn't demand rights because he knows he doesn't have any. A slave or a steward in the time of the Lord Jesus on the earth had no rights. They knew they only existed, they only prospered by the provision of their master, by the kindness of their master. And so at the bottom of this sheet, it says this, of this sheet on working through what rights do you have to deny? What rights do you think you have that you're holding to? At the bottom it says, consciously recognize that you and all you have, including your rights, belong to God. Acknowledge this 
and dedicate all, including your rights to God. Trust him to take care of his property. Cease to think in terms of your rights and concentrate on God's will and purpose and promises. What is it? That's what a steward does. And by definition, I think, a faithful steward of King Jesus is kingdom-minded. He's kingdom-focused because he's serving the king who, whom he loves with skill. And because he uses the resources he's been given to build Christ's kingdom, not his kingdom. Well, finally, I just want to refer to some areas of stewardship. That's that last section. <clears throat> I know a number of you discuss goals at the beginning of the year, or the end of the year, and the beginning of a new year. <clears throat> and I think this is important for us to ask ourselves, even as I just really quickly go through these, this list, and I don't think it's comprehensive, but I think these are areas that likely we will uh, teach on, preach on, have in community meditations, or discuss in our shepherding times. So ask yourself, is there one of these areas, Lord, where I am weak, where I am not really honoring you in my stewardship? And may the Lord lead you. First of all, spiritual gifts. <clears throat> I'm not going to refer too much to this because we were going through this in the meditations from Ephesians 4, but it was mentioned this morning, again, uh, by Phil. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. There's two 12s and two 4s. Those are the main passages in the New Testament. But we are to exercise, we are to use the gifts that we've been given to build up the body of Christ. The question would be, are you growing as a faithful steward in exercising these gifts in this body? Ask the Lord to enable you to do so. Second is finances, of course. Most people, when they think of stewardship, and if you did a search on stewardship, which I did, many times, most of it was about financial stewardship. But our stewardship is way beyond that. It's everything. But regarding finances, uh, we may discuss tithing and dominion, and I believe they go together. We may toss, talk about giving, talk about generosity, uh, talk about saving and investing. Uh, all those should be done with a kingdom mindset, of course. Laying up treasure in heaven, um, the unrighteous mammon, so to speak, to be used for eternal blessings. First Timothy 6, verse 17 says, Command those who are rich, and I believe that includes all of us, who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. And that would be, again, that unrighteous mammon. But in the living God, trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Everything we have been given, we are to use as his stewards. We can do so joyfully, but we must remember it's for his purposes. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Letter C, stewards of relationships. Last year, our focus was on, uh, maybe in general, on, uh, steward, on relationships, you know, with the Relational Wisdom 360. And uh, yeah, primarily, I believe it was mostly about our speaking. This year, I believe uh, we maybe will be more specific about some of these areas. For example, uh, our family relationships, our stewardship of our marriage. How are we stewarding our spouse? as we are called to do. Our training of our children. How are we training them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Our parenting. How are we doing in that? And on that topic, uh, sometime in the early spring, uh, we are planning a probably a half-day conference on parenting, on training our children. And the Foxes are working on developing that. And then uh, finally, another possibility is we, we could and should talk about the care of our elderly family members, our stewardship of, of those with white hair. Stewards of the gospel. We are all stewards of the gospel of grace. He has given us his word. We heard this morning that we, have the, we all have the ministry of reconciliation. And so Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is clear. We're to go and make disciples. We're to preach the word of God. We're to minister to people. And we do that with the word of God. So we must be good stewards of it. 1 Corinthians 4, again, that was that key verse, I think. Let a man or let people so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We are stewards of his amazing word. And we should, we should have people saying about us, again, whether they think it's good or not, those are people of the word of God. 
That's, that's how we stand out. They love the Word of God. They're always talking about the Word of God. They're servants of, of their God. And because we have been commissioned to make disciples, to teach all that He's commanded us, we, we have to be constantly learning it. We have to be disciplined in studying His Word. We are stewards of creation, as we saw earlier in, in chapter 1 of Genesis. We are stewards of creation, stewards of the earth. I think, brothers and sisters, we really need to be alert in this area. Um, I, I think we understand how we are meant to be stewards of creation. We, already, we believe in that. But the climate alarmists, they have pernicious goals, really. Pernicious. They're humanists. And the radical environmentalists, they, they have these goals that it isn't just supposedly to care for the earth. They worship the creation rather than the creator. And so even in their policies that they make that at first light maybe seem well-intentioned, they err greatly in the impact of their actions because they are based on extremely faulty economic principles. Not biblical, certainly. And in their desire to feel good, mainly, or create their own hope in the earth, they don't care, or they don't care to learn how dangerous and hurtful these actions are. And often, it, it hurts the poor. It hurts the poor, the people they say they are helping. And the worst of them know that. They, they know what they're doing, and it's, it's all about control, really, about promoting their ungodly worldview. And I go into that a little bit more because uh, we haven't discussed this as the elders, we haven't decided on this, but uh, you all know Cal Beisner from a few years back. He has written many books. Actually, he's written excellent books. Uh, he is, I'm sorry, the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. He heads that up. He's written excellent books, probably the best books at least I have ever read on this topic and about stewardship in general. He doesn't just talk about the stewardship of the earth. So I'm making my plug here and, and Rodney and Phil will have, to, uh, will have to talk this out. But it's possible that in our conference in August, he, he might be our speaker. Stewards, we are stewards of material blessings. We have a lot of them. We have houses, we have cars, we have tools. Well, maybe not enough of those. But we have clothes. I was joking. I know some guys here who feel like me. Or guns, I know, that maybe on that level. But, you know, God has blessed us greatly, brothers and sisters, with material blessings. And the questions I should ask are, are we using these for hospitality, for ministry, for joyfully for our family needs, of course, and for training others to be good stewards? Are we using them in those ways? And do we think of all these things as mine? And I thought of another movie quote. I'm trying to catch up to Rodney. But in Finding Nemo, uh, there's these, I guess they're minor birds, but they're all going around, mine, 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 mine. You know, you remember that? So we don't want to be like that. We don't want to always think of mine. You know, God gives us things richly to enjoy, of course. And there is great joy in using these things. Uh, these could be, again, called unrighteous mammon. Using these things to bless people. It's more blessed to give than to receive, the Lord said. So I think, actually, there's a way to understand how my attitude, is my attitude really good about all these good things, Lord, that you have given me? I think we know, we can know, if our attitude is right in these things, if we have a spirit of thankfulness. If we are constantly thankful for them. If not, I think we, we're looking at them uh, as mine. We don't remember that they're his. And they're a gift from him. And we should be thankful constantly for them. If we look at them as a means to serve and to bless others, um, as these are possessions that we don't want to possess us. And you might ask yourself, well, can I call anything mine, I guess? Well, the answer is kind of, a little bit, I guess. It's yours to enjoy, by the grace of God. It's yours to enjoy, and it's yours to be thankful for. It's yours to use as a gift from God to meet your needs, to meet the needs of others. And it's yours as a means of service. But it is not yours to use recklessly. It is not yours to be careless with or to be selfish in its use. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you, did not, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? What do you have that you did not receive? Stewards, we are stewards of our body and our mind. We're to glorify God in our body by exercising our body, our health, by exercising our mind also. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You are bought at a price. In other words, you are a slave, you are a servant, you are a steward. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we must take dominion of our body and its health. It's a matter of self-government. And taking care of our body, obviously, enables us physically to serve better as stewards, to serve longer maybe as stewards, until the Lord ends our stewardship, uh, until our final accounting. Well, finally, stewards, we are stewards of our time. Our Lord has given us time to live on this earth. He knows every day of that. But some of the issues we might discuss in this are how do you have a work and rest balance? Some people do that pretty well. Some people really don't do that well. Uh, so we need to get to a work and a rest balance. In other words, what is, what is enough rest? Or what is too much recreation? Uh, and then we, we must have time for service, of course, in others' lives. Time for training. Time for worship, certainly. Psalm 90 says, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days. This is a prayer to our master. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need our master to teach us how to use our days, to how to use our time. The days are evil. And related to use of time, I can't let the year end or a new calendar year start without handing out uh, the 10, which became 31 questions. It's on the back of your uh, sheet there. And I would suggest, even if you only looked at one, you know, if you had a family time and you said, oh, okay, I don't want to do all this, but let's look at one anyway. Look at number five. What is the biggest, single biggest time waster in your life, and what will you do about it this year? That could really change a lot of things about your stewardship this year. You will waste less time. You'll use it more for the kingdom. I'd like to conclude, brothers and sisters, if you look back at your bulletin, that last song we sang before I came up, it's on pages 14 and 15. I don't know if we've sung that very often, but this could be a pun, I suppose, but it was very timely. Okay, it's called The Time We Have is Precious. Um, and it is precious. The time we have is precious. We should not let it just... Uh, filter by. And I'd like to read, I wanted to read the whole first line, but I, I won't take the time, but I'd like to read the chorus. God looks for a people, the faithful and the strong, to speak to situations and cause things to be born, to be fruitful. Captives of a vision, the master's vision, singers of a song, who only live to see his kingdom come, who only live to see his kingdom come. May it be so. Let's pray. Lord, we, we do long to see your kingdom come. And we realize you have called us to be stewards of your grace and by your grace. And you have given us grace, Lord, to fulfill your calling upon this earth for the glory of your name. Oh, Lord, we submit ourselves to you now. And we pray that we would be faithful stewards and be thankful, servants, that you would involve us at all in your work. Oh Lord, may everything we have and every gift you have given to us be dedicated to your service, be consecrated to you. We rejoice in being servants of the Most High God, and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our servant, King. Amen.